0: We are starting a new, a new little three-week series today. Um, <clears throat> We've just finished Second Timothy, and now we're starting a little three-week on mission and vision. And so, for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about three things that we think are very important uh, at Remedy that we want you to be a part of, and kind of cast some vision for the way we want these things to look. Today, I'm doing community and what we want community to look like. Next week, Jack is doing mission. And what we mean by that is missions, international missions um, specifically, but really mission in general. And then the third week is going to be Jordan. He's doing worship. Um, You may not know this, but Jordan was like the premier student uh, preacher his senior year at Anderson. And so we're all excited to hear him come shuck the corn. So anyway, (coughs) that's just the preacher language for preach real well. Um, (coughs) So Jordan's going to be doing the third week on worship. So it's going to be pretty incredible. Um, Anyway. So today, I'm going to be doing community. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open up to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, and we'll be in Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to pray, and then we'll, we'll get started uh, in just a minute. Let me, let me pray first. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your, your love and your mercy toward us in Christ. I pray, Lord, this morning that as we look at the idea of community, for those of us that have heard it a lot, um, that we would still seek to hear some of the, the benefits of community and ask the hard questions if we're, we're really pursuing it in that way and really receiving these benefits and pursuing those benefits and doing all we can as a, as a community group member. But also for those here, Lord, that maybe not, might not be involved in a community body of a church, whether it be this one or, or another one, Lord, that they would hear these things and desire these things and that they would want to make these things happen in their life. As always, Lord, I'm totally totally dependent upon you to speak through me, that I I cannot do this without you at all. And I ask that you would really remove me out of the way and speak uh, your word, and your word would do its work, and all that it can do in our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So each fall, generally, we have a a, a little sermon series where we kind of try to cast some vision, some of the new things that we're going to do. Generally, we do it in the fall, because that's when everybody's finally back. Um, And so this is my nearly yearly sermon uh, for community and its importance in your lives and its importance in the life of Remedy Church. So if you have a Bible, like I said, you can go to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to be at verses 19 through 25, 19 through 25. I'm going to, I promise, get there. But I have just a couple things I want to read as maybe some, some setting of foundation before we get there. Uh, but the, set, the first set of verses I want to look at comes from Second. Corinthians chapter 3, you don't have to flip, you can just listen, but this really kind of sets the foundation for us of what we're wanting to accomplish in Remedy Church when it comes to community, because a lot of times we can think community and the benefits of community and doing everything is all kind of up to me. I want to, I want you to, from the beginning, realize that your ability to do ministry, your sufficiency and effectiveness in ministry comes from Jesus. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting at verse 4, such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant. So the ministers, by the way, doesn't mean people that work at churches. That's everybody. Everybody that's a believer is a minister of the new covenant. It says he has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So we're all, as believers, filled with the Spirit. We're all now competent to be able to do ministry. And the sufficiency to be able to do ministry does not come from in and of ourselves. But instead, all of it comes from God. And so when I'm talking about community groups today and all that it entails, we have to remember that our sufficiency and our ability to do those things and our competency to be able to minister to one another and to the city begins and it finds its foundations in Jesus, and Jesus alone. So my main goal today is this. My main goal today as we're talking about community is not just to encourage you to join a community group at Remedy. That's not really my main goal. That might happen, but I have kind of a bigger, broader goal that I want to accomplish, which is this. My goal is to convince you that biblical community is absolutely necessary in your life that the Bible wants us, the Bible says that we as Christians should be involved in biblical community. And so whatever church you're in, there's likely set up some kind of mechanism, some kind of discipleship arm, some kind of peace for you to grow into that idea of of growing into be a better follower of Jesus, a better disciple of Jesus, a better disciple maker of Jesus. And so If you're in community, you're likely going to be able to do those things better. So my goal today is to convince you that you need to be involved in biblical community. And if it's at Remedy, the way that we've designed and tried to make that happen at Remedy is through community groups. So my goal is here that you'll just buy into the idea for community. That's my goal. And if you're going to be at Remedy, it would be through community groups. If you're going to be at whatever church you go to, um, that it would be at that place. Now, there's... Likely two groups I'm speaking to today. Some that are already involved in Remedy, deeply involved in Remedy, deeply involved in the community group, and you already are going to believe everything I'm going to say. Okay, so still, I'm going to, you're going to see four benefits of being in biblical community today. And so what I want you to do then, think like this, as you hear these benefits, I want you to say, am I actively seeking those benefits? Am I actively participating in the benefits? And am I actively being a person that's trying to extend those benefits to the rest of the people in my community group? So it's, it's, a, it's a give and take. And so as you hear these four benefits, I want you to hear them as in, am I experiencing those? Am I extending those? Am I part of that in my community group? The other group of people are people that are probably not yet in a biblical community. Whether it's that you come to our church or not, you haven't experienced these things. And so my goal is not for you to ask those questions, but instead, as you hear these benefits, really think to yourself, do I want to have that in my life? And if I do, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Because these benefits, I mean, these, I didn't make these up. These are in the Bible. These things are incredible. They're absolutely incredible. And I would argue necessary for you to have in your life as a believer in Jesus. And so whatever group you fall into, I want you to try to hear those things in your way. And I already told you what my goal is. My goal is to convince you that you need to be in biblical community. You need to be. And when I say that, I want to give a little bit more explanation. So when I say you need to be in community, what I mean is gospel-centered community. Gospel-centered community. So what do I mean when I say gospel-centered community? To state it easily, it means this. A community that's centered around the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you can say, Fudd, you just use the same words to explain it. And so that's not really a definition if you just use the same words and just you know, re- reorient them and, and say the same thing. So I'll try to explain it more. Um, what I mean is this... Uh, if you're a believer and you're hanging around with people you could ask yourself this you can say i wonder if i didn't know jesus if i would still hang around them would i be with these people and would i have this deep connection like i don't have with any other people and the reason why when you meet someone that you've never met but then you realize you're christians you feel this kind of lower level foundational connection that people that don't know christ don't feel is because of jesus it's centered around this deep, abiding truth in what Christ has done in his death, burial, and resurrection for us on the cross. And so, what we mean is gospel centered community is that our hanging around each other is centered around the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We talk about it to each other, we tell each other what are the implications of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So we tell each other that you're in Christ and you're holy and you're innocent and you're, you're counted, seated with Jesus in the heavenlies. We, we speak to one another with these amazing biblical truths. We talk about it often. We try to tell other people together as a community of 12 to 15 people. We try to tell other people that haven't heard this amazing message about it. We try to care for and love for, love each other in a way that mirrors the gospel. So th- what that means is Jesus was in heaven and became man incarnate, which we're not that hot. You know, we're not that great of people, right? And he literally became one of us. He had it pretty good in heaven before he came. We can all kind of admit that, right? And so when he came down here, he literally, as Philippians 2 kind of said, lowered himself to come down here. And as he did that, took on flesh and then lived a life with us, like healing people and loving them and loving the sinners and loving the outcasts and all the people that were kind of the outskirts of society. He generally... He, genuinely loved everybody that he could. That means we look at that example of the gospel and eventually died for them, those who are his enemies. So that's that's the example of what love should look like. So in our community groups, a gospel-centered community group is that we try to, the best we can, love each other in that exact same way. Sacrificially love one another. Sacrificially try to find ways that we can... help one another, spur each other one, on another, and care for one another. We share the gospel with each other. We strive to, as we know each other even more deeply, the things that, that we find um, as temptations in our lives, we try to help each other conquer and kill those sins. And we want to see more people meet Jesus as well. So that's what we mean when we're talking about gospel-centered community groups. We just don't mean a group of people that hangs out and eats and plays games. Yeah, you'll do that. Of course you'll do that. That's, that's part of it there's a much deeper foundation to that so at remedy when we talk about the way we do that is through our community groups those are groups of 12 to 15 people that meet in local area homes and even other times as as they're able to in this kind of transient society that we live in where they're communities that as they get together they glorify god by loving one another and trying to make disciples of themselves, deeper disciples, and of people that don't know Jesus. And we've got groups that are, reading all, are meeting all over the city. They meet together and do these things that I've talked about and try to be as intentional as they can to, to live life in this particular way. So for remedy then... The main mechanism or the main discipleship arm or the main way that you're going to grow as a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, and a disciple maker of Jesus at Remedy is being in a community group. So what that means is this. Yes, you absolutely can grow as a disciple if you come to Remedy on Sundays. We don't disagree with that. There is an absolute amazing sovereign grace given to us as we come to corporate gatherings and if we sit under the exposition of the word and we sing together corporately and we worship together and we meet and kind of fellowship with, with each other before and after the, the sermon and, or after the service, we, we, we have an ability to certainly grow as a disciple. There's no question about that. But at Remedy, we think that's half of the deal. You're, you're kind of getting half of it. There's a whole second half that we've tried to structure, which is you can really be known, you can really be loved, You can really be cared for. You can have an even more of a voice if you are part of our other side, which is our community disciple-making mechanism, which we call community groups. So that means at Remedy, if you want to grow into your fullest potential as a disciple of Jesus, if you want to, what I think is biblically... Jesus wants us to be in community. The best way that you can reach your full potential and the fullness of Christ as a disciple of Jesus and a disciple maker of Jesus is to, yes, be here on Sundays, but to also be a part of a community group. That's the best way at Remedy you're going to grow as a deep disciple here at Remedy. Now, if you go to another church and they do it other ways, I'm not saying that our way is the way. I'm saying our way is a way. And it's the way that we have um prayed about and feel that god is leading us to lead that here other churches do other things and in those contexts they work perfectly so that's fine i'm not saying that we have like the corner market on making disciples i'm just saying this is how we feel the, definitely the lord is leading us after after a lot of prayer so the the primary vehicle which you're going to be disciple that remedy is through community groups that's the primary way that it's going to happen so i know you're thinking he's never going to get to the text i really am i really am um I have one other verse that I want to read to you from from Second Thessalonians. Maybe you weren't thinking that, but now you are. Um, from Second Thessalonians, I'm sorry, First Thessalonians, uh, and then I want this to kind of set the uh, kind of the foundation for what we want community groups to feel and look like, and then we'll jump into the text in First Thessalonians, chapter two. Paul is writing to the people in Thessalonica, talking about how he feels about them. And as he talks about how he feels about them, he talks about, as he feels about this way, what are some of the interactions they have and what, it's all, what is it all about? He says in, in chapter two, verse eight, he says, so being, notice this language, this is beautiful. So being affectionately desirous of you. So this means like Paul wants to be around them He has a deep love for them. It's not a box he's checking every week to get around people because the church requires it. Instead, he really wants to be around them. It's when he's not there and he's got to do something on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, whatever night you might go to community group or if you're missing out you have a heartache like, oh, I'm gonna miss out on seeing Samantha and Joe and Bob and I love hanging around with Laura. They're just, they're just awesome and I'm gonna miss it. And those four people, and I can't remember their names, they're gonna say, oh, Larry's not gonna be here and oh, it just drives me crazy. I wish, because I have such an affectionate, desirous uh, part of my heart that wants to be with them. And this is what it looks like when you're with them. He says, so being affectionately desirous of you, what does that look like? We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God. So in this context, there's a, there's a giving and taking of declaring and preaching or proclaiming or sharing the gospel over us. It has its foundations set over it in that group. Not, we don't want to share only the gospel of God with you, but also our own selves, our very lives, because you have become very dear to us. So there's not only this kind of, of course we're going to talk about Jesus peace, right? We've got to talk about the gospel. We're... But there's also just this desire, I just care about you. And I, I want to be known by you and I want you to know me and I want to love you and I want you to love me. And if you have a need, I want to meet it. And if I have a need, you want to meet it. And we just want to hang out and we want to be together because I'm just so affectionately desirous of you. And I would argue that that's biblical community and it's absolutely necessary in the life of every Christian. It's not the, the option, it's not like, You've got to do Sunday, and you have this extra thing, which is really awesome, but it's up to you. I think that the Sunday morning gathering and biblical community and whatever church, the way they try to work that out, and here it's for us as community groups, is absolutely necessary. So what I want to read here to you is verses 19 through 26 in Hebrews 10, and I'm going to show you four benefits of being in biblical community. Four benefits of being in biblical community. Let's, I'm going to read the entire set of verses. And what I want you to notice here, by the way, it's, it's, it's going to stick out to you, is the first per, first person plural how many times you see we us our we us our not notice this therefore brothers since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood that's highlighting community by the way that's why i'm telling you to look for that therefore brothers since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh and since we have a great high priest over the house of god let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. I mean, just notice how many times that first-person plural was used. Christianity is never meant to be some kind of private, individualized thing. It's always meant to be lived in the, in the context of community. Keep going. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So in this particular set of verses, we're going to look at four, benefit, four benefits at being in community. And I'm hoping that if you're in community already, you're going to see these things and say, i got to shore up on some of these things. Or, man, these things are awesome. Praise God I'm experiencing these things. But if you're not in community, you're going to hear these things and you're going to say, my heart hurts and longs for and deeply desires those things. And maybe the Spirit would lead you to be a part. Maybe the Spirit would lead you to be a part. So the first one is this. You can go ahead and put it up. The first benefit of being in biblical community is this. You will be actively involved in a community of people Fulfilling the Great Commission. You'll be actively involved in a group of people, a community of people fulfilling the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, we've gone over it a billion times. Jesus tells them, I have all authority. I want you to go make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded, and then after that, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We know that the last thing Jesus told us is He wants us to make disciples. He wants us to reach people. And generally we've heard that and we've said, okay. It's all up to me, and I'm by myself. So my neighbors, my coworkers, my crazy aunt and uncle or whoever, like everything, I've got to individualize this Great Commission, and I've got to do it by myself. However, I think that the Great Commission, while certainly you're going to have individual conversations sometimes and lead people to Jesus, I think the Great Commission is also just as effective, maybe if not more, to try to do it in biblical community, to do it with people. I've experienced this with weightlifting. So I used to be able to lift with people a lot. And as that was happening, like, I found myself getting massive. Like, I was stacked. I was, I was ripped. I weighed, I don't know how much, but it was awesome. And I was really happy. And I, now I have a weight bench in my garage. And I walk by it. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do that. But I don't have anybody to do it. And all I do is just, yeah, I'm going to do that. And then I never do it, right? My wife's all over me. Fudd, get healthy. Come on, you're, you're almost 40 how's that possible? Like, so I realized, like, the only way that I'm going to accomplish things, and we're all like this, right? We're all like this. The really the way that we're going to accomplish things, because we have that connection with people, the accountability factor, and we're just doing it with someone as if we're doing it in community. Evangelism is no different. It's just no different. You're going to be more effective if you're going to try to accomplish the Great Commission by doing it in a community of people. You're going to have, like, I can't reach this guy and he's just so lost and maybe he's crazy or whatever and I have no idea. Oh, I, I have ideas. I've got giftings and, and things that can help you reach that person and together we can try to do it. Or would you just pray with me about that and then next week will you ask me if I talk to them? So if, if no one's around there asking you that, you'll just not tell him or her likely because we're just, just the way we are. We're accidentally forgetful. If so I'm saying it really niceful, really nice. Niceful, that's not a word. Um, so... We get the idea or we get the, the, the ability to then do the great commission in a community of people. So, so why am I getting that from this verse? Let's look at this. Therefore, since we have confidence. So we know we're talking about a group of people. We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. That means they, they've put their faith in Christ. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. How is it possible that anybody is going to draw near to Christ by his blood unless they've become Christians? They're just not going to. No one's going to be able to do that unless they're a believer. They won't draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil, evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That's just a lot of language that the Bible's using to say, They've come to know Christ. They've put their faith in Jesus and they're now a Christian. How is this going to happen unless the Great Commission is happening to tell them? And so in the context that we're seeing of us, we, and everything, we, we know that this is going to be even more effective if we're doing it together. We're out there doing it together. Which brings me to the, uh, the, new, the new thing. So um, these next three weeks, we're going to talk about something new in each, uh, in each one of these context, each one of these different things, and this is community. Now, we talked about this at our five-year celebration back in January. Jack and I have been talking and praying about how to implement this new thing for at least a year, year and a half or so. We've been thinking and praying and thinking and praying and doing as much conversating as we can um, about it, but uh, I was thinking, you know, when I first started the church, when we first started the church, I remember talking about something or about college students. And I went back and looked in my very first sermon. I remember it was the very first series that did was Galatians. It was like 18 weeks. The very first sermon, I wasn't very strategic. I still preached like an hour and five minutes that very first sermon. So nothing's really changed. Um, but anyway, that, that first, what, I didn't even preach like a text. I just did an overview of Galatians. Maybe that was a problem. But in that particular sermon, I went and looked at my manuscript. And this is what I said. I found something. And so I, this kind of, helps me kind of reorient myself and Jack, as we've been talking, reorient ourselves to the new thing that we're going to start doing in community groups to fulfill this first point, which is fulfilling the Great Commission in a strategic way at Remedy Church. This is what I, this is what I, I said, the very first sermon, January 25th, 2009. One question I get a lot is this. Why Remedy? Why here and why now? And this is how I would answer According to Lifeway Research, that's just a, a bookstore that does research as well, a Christian bookstore. According to Lifeway Research, 70% of young adults, 70, 7 out of 10 of young adults who regularly attended church for at least one year in high school stopped attending church between the ages of 20, 18 to 22. And the vast majority of those who stopped attending did not return to active participation in church before the age of 30. This means basically whenever... Students that were involved in church in high school went to college. Right when they went to college, seven out of ten quit going. Only three stayed active. And so you can imagine, it says at age 30 is whenever they finally returned, likely because they got married or had kids. And they're like, oh, I got kids, and I don't want them to end up like me. My last 12 years has been a train wreck, so got to get them in church and figure it out. So let's, let's kind of think about this. At age 18, if they leave the church for four years and don't return to, they get to age 30. Spiritually, they have a, a decline for 12 years. But the other side is if they stay in church at 18 and they grow for 12 years, that, that right there is a huge gap of spiritual growth that they're missing out on. So when I saw that, I thought to myself, what would it be like then if that seven out of 10, seven out of 10 didn't leave, but we, we did everything we could to reduce that number. And this is just church kids. It's just church kids. So we still have the whole now of post-postmodernism where kids, postmodernism is all truth is relative. Post-postmodernism is, I don't even care anymore. You know, I don't even care about Jesus anymore. Um, so we have those groups of kids that don't even care. So what if we did our best as a church to reach those so that this gap was significantly closed? And at age 30, you didn't have kids that were trying now to get their life together, but instead had 12 amazing years of growth. And so. I said, that's why I want to start Remedy, because I have a, a deep passion for, for reaching those kids and even the kids that don't know Jesus. I, I, it, it breaks my heart to know that that many kids, and I say kids, I know they're not kids. You, you're here in college, I'm not calling you a kid. Kind of man, but not really. Um, it breaks my heart that those students are, are not walking with Jesus. And so after that, I said, "This is more stuff I said in, in the sermon." Is the real question is not that that is happening, but the real question is why is this happening? Why is this happening in the church especially? And I thought that LifeWay didn't answer, but this is what I think. I believe that that's happening is because likely the majority of those students were likely never regenerate. They just weren't saved. They just kind of grew up in a church where, you know, they scare the hell out of you literally so that you don't want to go to hell and it sounds bad. And so how do I not go to hell? Well, there's only one way and it's Jesus. Well, then that's my way. And then you kind of just do whatever you want. And then once you get the freedom and you're in college, like church doesn't mean anything to you because your parents dragged you there every week. And then after you get your freedom, you never go anymore until 30, until you have your own kid and you're like, I'm a mess. I don't want them to be a mess. And so then you go back. So approaching, I think the root of it is seeing those college students, age students come to know Christ. And From the very beginning, very first service, I I, I said this stat, and I I said, this is what we want to do at Remedy. And so the very beginning, we were very devoted to reaching the college campus, mostly because of this deep passion I had. Um, And we had a lot of students come. And during those five years, we we saw students come, college students come. And we were really young when we first started. I remember that first year praying, Jesus, please bring 40-year-olds. I mean, just some people that aren't a mess, that you know, don't sleep till noon, like just don't have crazy problems that can help me. I just remember praying. But we had a lot of college kids in the very beginning. Um, And we saw over those, over the last five years or so, even almost six now, those kids come to know Christ, grow in Christ, get married, have children. And so we're about six years after that. And as we've seen that happen, um, certainly, and this is understandable, our focus is on that group now, 20 to 30 year olds or so. It's kind of, it seems like that's the focus. Although, we want to continually reach everybody that we can, no matter who they are, no matter what age. We want to reach everybody we can, but it seems like that's the that's the predominant age is that next stage of of a of life with lots of kids. Is we got kids everywhere now, right? Um, and so I've been thinking about this a lot. Jack and I have talked about it. I've talked about with um, this kind of this thing that's been going on in York County with the the director of missions. His name's uh, Michael Dale. He just kind of knows all the seventy whatever churches in Rock Hill, and we just kind of talked about how some of this happens, and this is what I think happens, is a church starts, does a good job because they're young, reaching college age students or whatever, and then five years later, that group that they initially started with is still the core group, and they're doing their best now to reach 20 and 30 year olds, and then about five or 10 years later, all those are now 30 and 40, And so they're doing their best to mostly minister to 30 and 40 year olds and now youth. One day we'll have a youth group, right? And so now youth. And then what happens is they get to their 50s and those youth go out because they don't want to be, you know, at their parents' church anymore. They want to be at the cool hip one. And then they're 50 and all of a sudden they look back and they don't have any other generations. This is what's happening in every church in Rock Hill. They're 50 or 60 and they have nobody that's younger and No concept of how to reach that generation because they're just 20 years removed from them. They have no kind of identification with them. And what's happening now, even in York County, is as they're turning, these 50-year-olds are turning 60, 60 60-year-olds are turning 70, and they're not doing a good job at reaching, those churches are dying. They're just dying. They're decreasing numbers. They have massive buildings. I talked with somebody just this week. I can't remember who it was. Uh, uh, A massive building that held over 1,200, and they have 200 something like that. So there's churches all over that have these massive churches that were in their heyday, huge. But what happened was is they didn't keep reorienting themselves back to the younger age and saying, "Hey you that are now 20-year-olds with children, we're absolutely still focused on you and we want to care for you and minister to you, but also we want you all to be missionaries with us to reach this next student age so that they can come in too." And then when that happens when they're 20 and y'all are 30, we're going to care for you, we're going to love for you and also all of us are going to be missionaries back to this, this age again so that they can join us and we're going to continually, each generation, have that new generation always with us so that when we're finally 50, we've got 40-year-olds, we've got 30-year-olds, we've got 20-year-olds, and we look a whole lot more like what I think heaven's going to look like, a whole lot more like a, a multi-generational church, which is what the design is. And so we have to, in our minds, continually reorient ourselves. Not that we're taking the focus off of you We still want to care for you. Jack and I still love you. We still want to minister to you. We still care about your children. It's not like we don't care about you anymore. We just care about the 18. That's not what I'm saying. It's not at all what I'm saying. We want to care for you and love you, and you join us in reaching the next generation. So, um, we also, as we began, this is still, I'm still under this new thing. I know it's kind of long, but there's a lot to it. Um, Jack and I have been talking about it for a year and a half or so. We also noticed when we first started community groups. We just told each community group, what we want you to do is pick something in the city and go serve. You can pick whatever you want. There's, there's all kinds of stuff all over. So you can reach uh, the Children's Attention Home. You can reach retirement centers. You just find something in the city that all of y'all are kind of excited about and go serve them as much as you can. So we've done schools. We've done crisis pregnancy centers. We've done projects for the city. We've done all these kinds of things. Um, but what we found is... <clears throat> This, these are Jack's terms. I love it, um, especially because I'm a hunter. What we've been doing is we've been taking a shotgun approach to mission in the city. If you don't know anything about guns, I'll help you. Shotgun is one of those click, click things. You know, you poot, you, you, you shoot, not you poop, but you shoot. And when we had to edit that out on the podcast. So when you shoot, it shoots a bunch of BBs out, and it just kind of spreads all over and hits a bunch of stuff, and it goes about 50 yards. Shotgun approach. Rifle, you know, you do like this, and you have a deer that's 200 yards, a nice eight-point buck. Bang! And it's just that one bullet goes and it hits them. There's, no, there's not a whole lot of stuff. And so what we've noticed is our approach to mission in the city is community groups, pick whatever you want and just go reach wherever you can. So we've been trying to broaden ourselves out, shotgun approach to doing things. And that's not bad. But as we've been talking about, what we've noticed is each community group themselves feels like an island and there's no crossover of unity of mission in community groups, they're all just kind of out there. And what we thought is, we want each community group to have its own kind of passion and purpose and, 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 and whatever. But we also want all the community groups to feel like they're unified still under kind of one more singular focused mission. And so we talked and prayed for a long time. Fast forward from J- January 9, 2009 to, ah, I don't know when it was, when, when Jack moved here. But one day Jack called me, seminary buddy from... 2001. Hey, Fudd, I, just, uh, I think I'm getting a job as a campus minister in Rock Hill. Isn't that near you? I'm like, that's right where I am. That's pretty amazing. So this took me by surprise. And I say, whoa, this just happenstance. This isn't happenstance at all. This is the sovereign hand of God bringing someone who's now an elder whose passion is just like mine, co- reaching college students. And so we're putting all this together. And I, Jack and I are talking. I'm like, you know, Jack, I think that God... Uh, I don't want to be, you know, miss the big E on the I chart, as Driscoll would say. I don't want to miss that and say, maybe God's telling us, since I have a deep desire for college, you have a deep desire for college, that perhaps our singular-focused community group mission outreach that can give us diversity but also unify us should be reaching the Winthrop campus. It it we just all do one thing. So that's what's going to happen now. For Jack and I have been praying for at least a year and a half uh, and talking and trying to, as much as we can to s- focus ourselves to not take a shotgun approach, but now take a more rifle-oriented approach and be more effective and not find ourselves kind of accidentally all over the place or accidentally not continually looking back at the next generation, but, but all generations so that we don't find ourselves, you know, at 50 and have nobody that's younger than us. So what that means is that community groups aren't going to randomly just pick a place in the city, and serve. But instead, all community groups now are going to solely focus on the Winthrop campus. Anywhere on the Winthrop campus, all of our efforts, all of our missional focus, all of our thoughts, all of our community outreach, budgetary dollars are going to be focused on the Winthrop campus. Um, I know that that, that's going to bring some questions. I'm going to try to address what I think would be the, the top three questions you might have, but this is going to give us a clearer way to do mission at Remedy. I think a much more holistic kind of, we're all together doing the same thing, and there might be crossover in whatever point of the campus that you're trying to reach. So I I know you're going to have questions, and as much as you have, please find me and Jack. We've actually, Jack and I have been talking with Matt as well, the community group coordinator, for a while too. We've all thought about as many things as we can possibly think of. Ask us if you have questions, but let me address the top three questions you might have, uh, and then we're going to keep going in the text. First one, Um, isn't a focus on college students a little too narrow? Isn't that a little too narrow? Well, I've already addressed it a little bit for the continued sustained growth of our church. We need to continually look back at the previous generation and all of us minister to each other and reach, but um, for those of you that might say, (laughs) but hanging around with college students... um, I, I'm a little older than that, and I, I don't have any idea how to minister to them. Like, that's just beyond my capacity, ability. I don't even know who Snoop Dogg is. Like, I, I don't know who that is, and, or whoever. The, I don't, maybe that's not even them now. Maybe it's 50 Cent, or whatever his name is. Um, so, 50 Cent, I guess it is now, which isn't a real thing. That's half of a one cent. Anyway, so, um, if you say, isn't reaching college students a little too narrow? Because I'm, I'm more oriented toward adults, I want you to hear this. This is, this is not a problem at all. No, it's not too focused. And here's why. Because there are tons of subgroups on the campus, including adults, including adults. So if your group says, I am all about faculty, then you reach the faculty. I'm all about staff and outreach staff. You reach the staff. I'm all about the, the athletic coaches. Your community group reach, reaches them. I'm all about the men that make the, the campus, and, and women, that make the campus look beautiful. They're the ones that cut the grass, etc then you reach them. Tons of adults. So there's all kinds of subgroups on the campus that you can be really intentional about reaching, from faculty to staff to coaches on the team to even students, athletics. If you just love sports, I just want to reach the athletes. And you can go to all the softball games or baseball games or basketball games or whatever you want. Can't go to football games. Anyway, so the other things are, uh, another thing, like Jack was in a frat, so he has a deep heart to reach frats uh, and fraternities or sororities if you're a sorority... Um, in college, or international students. You have a group of, that's already ministering to the international students. You don't even have to invent the wheel. Like, it's, it's right there. Go serve that group that's already serving the international students, and you're reaching all over the whole world. So there's all kinds of, um, there's all kinds of subgroups that you can reach on the campus. Education majors. My wife was an education major, and so she has a heart for them whenever they're in their senior year and they're doing their student teaching. They just need, like, Somebody to tell them that they're going to make it <laughs> and that one day they're going to get to sleep again and that you love them and you, you send them a... Or, or brand new teachers, or you send them a, a $100 gift card to Walmart or $200 gift card to Walmart at the beginning of the year because they have to buy everything themselves with their own money. I remember that. And so like there's all kinds of things that you can do. You pick your passion You decide who it is, the subgroup on the campus, and then we're all still having our own kind of unique feel, but we're all still reaching the same group. We're all still going after, and there may be crossover. This doesn't mean we're all just going to do BCM. Jack's got BCM. He's doing a good job. Like, it's blowing up over there. The Lord is blessing that. That means maybe some of you will, but also there's like 6,000 people on campus, 7,000 people on campus. It's a huge, huge mission field for us to reach into. And likely, it means even with the church kids, there's seven out of ten that don't want anything to do with Jesus. So there's tons and tons of people to reach, even adults. So if you pick your passion and you don't know how, talk with me or Jack or Matt, and we'll give you specific ideas on how to do that. Jack's got an inroad into the campus, and he can do a lot of, he can can work some magic. He's awesome. So anyway, that's the first thing. Isn't a a focus on the college campus a little too narrow? No. Next thing, this is a big question, I think. Aren't they just going to move away after five four years? or, you know, for some of you on the five or six year plan, uh, aren't they just going to move away? The answer is maybe. Maybe they are. But either way, I think it's a win. If they stay, we've seen plenty of people that have, that have stayed here, and because they're in a church they love and a community they love, they just choose to stay here. They're from, you know, Florence or Hilton Head or somewhere in Georgia, whatever. They're from all over. And they say, you know what? I love the city. I love my community. I love the people I've met. I really feel at home here. I'm going to stay here because of my church community. That's a win. They stay. They get married because they found their MRS degree and they stay here or MR degree. And like, so they finally get married and they have kids and they're like, this is where I'm I'm doing it. That means they got married. They met their spouse. Um, And so they stay in the life of remedy. That's a win. Or if they move on, that means it's still a win because then we get to send missionaries. We get to send missionaries, and I don't mean like pack up everything, sell everything, go to the 1040 window. I mean, everybody's a missionary. So whenever they're here with us, they've experienced community maybe in a way they never have before. They've experienced a church that loves on them and does community. And then when they they say, okay, my four years are over, we get to send people or couples all over the country, maybe even out of the country, as missionaries to go do do something. And that's exciting for us. That's exciting for us to see that we're getting to do that. So the second question, aren't they just going to move? Maybe. But either way, I think still a win. Last question you might have, and then we'll keep moving. Um, What about if our community group is already serving at a place? What if if our community group's already doing something? Um, We're not telling those community groups to stop that. We're not at all. We want you to keep serving and being passionate about and and being with and helping people that you're already meeting. But for all the new community groups that we'll be launching, hopefully we're going to have a few launch here in the next six months, those will now take the focus of the campus. And for those that are between groups, and that's just the nice way of saying you still had not found one, um, the campus is where we want you to direct your efforts. And, and I think there's even ways to, to take some that you're already doing and still do, still do it together. I can talk about that later. So those are what I think are uh, the top three questions you might have. Certainly find me and, and, and talk to me later. But that's what we're going to be doing now as a, as a way to focus in on together as a church one particular thing where we're all just pouring all of our missional efforts in a much more oriented rifle effort because here's the thing. We want to have a community of people fulfilling the Great Commission together. Fulfilling the Great Commission is easier together. And so whenever we're doing that, man, it's, it's awesome if one group's already reaching something and there's an overlap into another and then they get to do things together and it's because it's, we're not just all over the place in the city but we're still here it's, I think it's going to be an amazing focus that the Lord's going to give us, that, that God's going to bless the, the efforts that we have. That's the first thing. The next thing, the next benefit is this. You can see it in verse 23. You can see it on the screen. You will be able to continue in a community. You'll be able to continually be. You will continue be. That doesn't make sense, does it? To be. Uh, I don't have a two in mind. You will continue to be in a community that strives to hold to the faith in the gospel. Look at verse 23. It says this. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. Let us together hold fast to the confession. That's continually believe the gospel. Our hope is Jesus. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he whose promise is faithful. So we know that the Lord's faithful to strengthen us as we've read in 2 Corinthians. He's the one that empowers us and gives us the competency and the sufficiency to continue in our ministry, to hold fast to the gospel. But there are this verse, and I'll, I'll read you one other. There's countless verses I could go to that tell us, that there's an absolute necessity for us to continue in the faith. This is just one verse. I could read tons. But uh, 1 Peter 1, verse, I'm sorry, 2 Peter 1, verse 10 says this. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure, for if you practice these qualities, these are the things that look like sanctification, you will never fall away. So there's all kinds of verses all over the Bible that hold out for us. Yes, you're in Christ. Yes, you're justified. Yes, you're innocent. Yes, you're declared righteous. Yes, you're seated in the heavenlies, Ephesians 1. However, now sanctification looks like you always holding fast to that. you continually holding on. And in this particular context, it's us. Let us um, hold fast to the confession of our hope. So there's a communal aspect to us. Believing in the gospel together and being in a community group lets you be in a community that strives together to continually hold on to this faith in the gospel. And that's why gospel-centered community is so important that we're speaking it to one another. We're declaring to each other who they are in Christ and then receiving that back and then talking about finding the things that might be tempting or causing us to sin and helping each other by the Spirit in a community, put those things to death. So we know it's the absolute design of God for us to be in a community, to live out our sanctification. You absolutely need others to live it out. You you, you just... There's no biblical verse, no community uh, that's supposed to, or there's no biblical verse that says you're supposed to live out your faith by yourself instead in a community. Of course, it's with people you know. Of course, it's with people you trust. And it's not like random stranger, random stranger. Y'all, y'all know each other intimately. Loud. Like get together, hang out all the time. Like that's not what we're talking about at all. That's, that's really awkward. So we're, we're saying people that you know, people that you love, it takes time to do that. But when that happens, that's the design. It's for you to live out your faith in that way. Doing great commission as well as holding fast to the gospel together. Next one, the third one. Verse 24. um, I'll put it up on the screen. You'll be in a community that is stirring you up to do gospel-centered good works. We all know that we're supposed to do good works. We all want to do them. But sometimes we lack the motivation. But this verse says, in community, you're going to find the motivation with someone else Motivating you and stirring you up to do it. Look look what it says in verse 24. Let us hold... 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let us consider. This consider is like not just kind of a, a mere passing thought. This is deep contemplation. Let us have deep contemplation on how we can stir up one another to love and good works. This means... When we know we're supposed to do good works, generally we think, I'm supposed to do good works. I'm kind of thinking about myself. How can I do them? How can I do them? How can I do them? But this verse is saying, not only should you consider that, but you should also consider the other people in your immediate community. Think about their giftings. Think about who they are. Think about how much they love Jesus. Think about what's going on. And you not only think about how you can do good works, but you're thinking about Joe and Susan and and whatever, running out of names. And you think, how can they do good works? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to consider them. I'm going to give some deep contemplative, contemplative thought on their giftings. And the next time I see them, and you know them, it's not some random weird person that doesn't know you. You go up to them and say, I've been thinking about this verse. I've got a verse. Verse 24. I'm supposed to think about how you can do good works. I've got some ideas for you. I mean, you are awesome at fill in the blank. You could really do some awesome works for the Lord if you just started doing that. This is how we see each other flourish in our walks with Christ. So, we... We're to consider how to do these things together, push each other on and doing good works together because we have to understand that we absolutely need each other. So let me ask two questions as a little follow-up to this point three. <clears throat> how many people really know you? I don't mean like you spread yourself way thin and you've got a bunch of acquaintances and oh, I got no kinds of people. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I mean like how many people really know you? How many people do you really, like, allow in to know you and you be known by them? I know that takes time. It's not like that can happen overnight. It it takes time. But how many people are you allowing into your your life, like, really into your life? And here's the deal. It's going to be difficult to stir you up to love and good deeds if you don't let yourself be known. You've got to let yourself be known. Don't hide yourself your whole life and miss out on this amazing gift that God gives us of deep, deep relationship and being known by people. Certainly, it's got to be someone you trust. But how many people really know you? The next thing I want to ask and kind of a follow-up question with this third one is this. How often do you consider how you can stir up others in your community? How often do you think about others and how you can stir them up towards loving good deeds? Not just yourself, but really focusing in on other people and seeing them flourish in the Lord, not just yourself. This, that seems to be the obvious implication of verse 24, is that we are others-minded, others-focused, not just self. I mean, certainly you're going to think about yourself. You, you can't not do that. But still, how often are you thinking about the people in your close community of the gifts they have and how you can encourage them and their good works? Number four, last one, is this. You have a community of people that really love you and desire to be with you. You have a community of people that really love you and desire to be with you. Um, Verse 25, if you've been around any kind of like seminary talk or maybe somebody's you know, hit you over the head with this verse if you've accidentally missed church for a while. um, They bring this verse to you as the proof text of your skipping church is the absolute biggest sin ever. Um, Verse 25, let us not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, when we know who those some are, you know, like, so they take that verse and they just say, you're in sin because you're neglecting to meet together like some do, but you should be here every Sunday with your choir robe on and ready to sing, like, but it says, let us not neglect to meet together as a habit of some, but encouraging one another in all, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So I heard, when I was reading this, um, the writer of Hebrews is writing it as saying, let us not neglect. So he's using it in a negative sense and he's carried along by the Holy Spirit. So I'm not going to say he's doing it wrong. I, I am thinking, if I were to take that and try to say it in a, in a positive way, instead of saying, the benefit of the community is that you won't miss church, so don't miss church. I was trying to think about it in a more positive sense. How can I give you a benefit without using the word not. Um, The reason why you would want to be here is because you know people love you. Like, they really love you. They really care about you. That's why you you come. Like, you, you go to the things that are important to you. And generally, that's because there's people there that you just, I love being around them. And so, this isn't just on Sunday. I think this is for community group as well. But a benefit then of community is that you really have people that love you and really have people that really want to be with you. When you're not there, they're just heartbroken. They, they, they hate that you're not there. There's people desiring to be together because they have a natural love for each other. That's got its gospel as the foundation. So just as Christ loved us and was willing to sacrifice himself and give himself for people that, they, that were even his enemies, we want to, based on that, the people that are in our group Just love them as unconditionally and serve them and be for them as much as we possibly can because we already have a deep love for them. Not like, I gotta love you because God said, but like, I like you too. Like, I really like being around you. This is a huge benefit. If we're all honest, every person desires this. There's not a person that doesn't desire this because it's been put into us because we're made in the image of God and he lives in community forever. And because we're made in his image, we desire community every one of us desire to be in a community with people loved and liked. And a benefit then is being in the community is that you have people around you that love you and want to be with you. And that is exactly what I was reading when I was reading First Thessalonians two eight. So being affectionately desirous of you. They really love you. They really want to be with you. And when they are, they're ready to share with you not only the gospel, not just the biblical truths that we're supposed to talk about because that's what God says, but instead our own selves. Everything about me, I want to help you. I want to give my life over to serve you and love you and care for you and be there for you. If things are going wrong, I want to be there. Like our community group leaders have three main things that they're supposed to do, and it's not Bible study. <laughs> it's community, mission, and care. We want them to have people that they're the best that they can. They're doing everything they can. to put these 12 to 15 people in community as often as they can every week. That's community. Mission. They're doing everything they can to take these 12 to 15 people and go fulfill the great commission together. Care. Whenever a tragedy hits or something happens or something awesome like a baby comes and these people need us to come around them, care for them, love them, that we are there for them because we really love them. And we're just, we love them. Those are the things that should be happening in every community group. And when you're in a group, when you're in a a benefit of being in this is that you have people that absolutely are in love with you. And they just love to be around you. Now, I say this in the info meeting. It takes time for that to happen. You go to one group and it's kind of like dating. You're like, that's, that's not going to work. Um, I'm not going to date them. I have to go to the next person. Um, and so community groups can be like that. You go to one and you're like, this isn't just going to work out for me. I'm going to go to another But you got to stick with it. you got to stick with it. And you'll find someone. You'll find a community that will love you like this. So community is not a, a quick conversation in passing at the end of church. Community is not simply attending a community group and just kind of checking that off the box. Um, Community is pursuing it. Like, it takes you pursuing it. Certainly, and I'll go ahead and say, certainly, absolutely, the people at Remedy, if you come to a community group or you come to church, we need to do everything we can to be as outgoing as we can, talk to you, take you out for a meal, hang out with you, etc., and, and pursue you. Like, we have to do everything we can to pursue those that don't know Jesus or if you're here for the first time. But also, you also have to do everything you can to pursue it as well. I've had countless conversations with people like, I came to Remedy, I just never felt plugged in and I just couldn't, I don't know, I just didn't connect. And I'm like, well, tell me how many community groups did you go to? None. <laughs> well, that's why. Like, certainly we need to do better and maybe you have some good good things. However, you've got to pursue community as well. It's, it's a give and take here. So community is something that you have to pursue. You have to allow people to come, become a part of your life, truly a part of your life, and then you'll start seeing these benefits, being able to do mission with people, being able to hold true to the gospel with other people, being able to have people that really desire and love with you, people that are stirring you on now to love and good deeds. So both of you pursue that as much as you can. I want to conclude with one example in the, in the book of Acts where... This is actually happening. And then we'll we'll close. And the book of Acts community is happening in the early church. And there's some beautiful language that it uses in Acts chapter 2 of things that are going on as people are living in community. I want to close with these. Starting at verse 42. And you're going to see this literally kind of lived out here before your eyes. Verse 42. And it says, "They They are the Christians. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So they were sitting under sound teaching. They were under the Bible. But not only that, they devoted themselves to fellowship. There's the piece where you have, to, you have to pursue it as well. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted, the, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayers. They were devoted to many things here together in a community. And as they did that, look what it says in verse 43. And awe came, came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. In other words, God moved in a big way, in a way that caused their souls to have awe towards God. He did, the Holy Spirit came and there was amazing things that started happening in their life. And what happened? In verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. So those believers found as many opportunities as they could to be together. As often as they possibly could, they were together and when they did that, they had all things in common. This isn't like the Bible proof text for people that say you should be a socialist. That's not it at all. This is saying as believers in Jesus, we need to kind of, we need to have the mindset that's been adapted that if I have something and you have a need, I want to meet it. Notice how it happens. I mean, this is verse 45 is quite convicting. When someone had a need, notice what they did. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Would you sell your car if someone in the church had a need that you can meet? It's not like you're digging at the back of the closet and giving them all the clothes you don't want. That's not like I'm selling everything. I'm giving you. I have, you have a need? I've got something I can give you. Find all the, the canned food I have of Vienna sausages. We never eat these anyway. I'm like, they're literally finding some of the most important they were selling their possessions and belongings would you sell some of your most precious things if there's someone in the church that had a need that's convicting that's very convicting this is the kind of life they lived why do they do that? watch this verse 46 those first four words I think are the key and day by day the implication is that they saw each other every day now, because we live in a transient society, that's, that's next to impossible. We drive everywhere. Some of you drive, you know, 30 minutes to work every day. We all live in kind of sporadic neighborhoods all over. But the principle behind that is still what we should strive for. We should, as much as we possibly can, see each other and be with each other every day. Phone calls, texts, social media, seeing each other at lunch, hanging out for breakfast, community group, game nights, dinners, going to each other's games going to each other's kids recitals all these things the the principle behind it is that we want to be with each other in our community group as much as we possibly can that's what's going on here and when that happens day by day they attended the temple together what did they also do they were breaking bread in their homes I mean there's just something intimate about eating with someone It's, it's different than bumping into each other in the mall and having a quick conversation when you sit down and you eat with someone there's just something that's more intimate about it and so that's why every Sunday you should take a couple out and you go Dutch you're going Dutch so no one feels like I gotta pay for it and eat with them or have them over to your house and eat with them this is how we really build community you eat with them this we will all eat together one day at the marriage feast of the lamb there's just something intimate about eating with one another and it tastes good Enjoy it together. Eat good food, obviously. They received their food with gladness and generous hearts. And notice this. What happens after that? Worship. Praising God and having favor with all the people. The unbelievers too. The post-post-moderns who don't care about it. They had favor with them too because of the kind of lives they lived. And this is my favorite. Evangelist at heart, I guess. The Lord added to their number Day by day, those who are being saved. When biblical community is operating and functioning, people that don't know Jesus start meeting Jesus. This isn't just I'm proof texting out of Acts chapter 2, verse 47. The entire book has illustration after illustration after illustration of people getting together that are Christians, doing life together, and other people meet Jesus. Acts 4.4, Acts 2.41, Acts 6 7 Acts 11, 21 Acts 9 31 Acts 9 42 Acts 12 24 Acts 1348 Acts 16 5 Acts 174 Acts 1920 Acts 21 20 All those are people in community, unbelievers saw it, and unbelievers got saved. So this is a pattern of principle happening. When we're functioning as a body, we're seeing these benefits happening. We start fulfilling the Great Commission together. And so This is what I want you to do. These are the applications. For those of you that are believers, that are in community, you're in and you're in and you're in. You bought in. You're like, I got it. I want you to just hear those four benefits and say, how am I doing at those? Am I fulfilling the Great Commission on on mission with other people? Am I loving and, and, and pursuing the gospel with other people? Am I doing those four things together? Am I really loving people? Am I really wanting to be people? Am I thinking about others and how to stir them on in good works? But for those of you that maybe are on the cusp, this is your church or you have another church and you're thinking, am I involved in the real community of that church? If you want to join Remedy and you're saying, okay, Fudd, you've convinced me I need biblical community. I'm going to do it. Look underneath your chair. There's a card about this size and it says, I want community on it. Just take that thing, fill out the back, whatever information you want. And at the end of the service, just put that in the offering plate. And we'll contact you this week and we'll get you into some community groups that will, that will be able to serve you and you'll start being a part of these benefits. Just fill that out and we'll take it up at the end of the service. And lastly is this. Because Jesus, as Acts said, has entered into the Holy of Holies and been the sacrifice for us and declared us righteous and declared us holy and been the once for all time sacrifice for us, He's worthy of our worship. He's just worthy of our worship. And so now we want to corporately sing together because Jesus has, it says in verse ten fourteen, by a single offering, he has perfected for all time. He's declared us holy, those who are being sanctified, those who are still growing in their sanctification. And he deserves all the glory for that. Let's pray. God, be with us now as we worship. I pray that you would connect our hearts together and point them vertically towards yours and that we would give Christ all the glory and all the honor he deserves as we corporately worship together. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name.